Welcome to The Q-Files. In this episode, I'm going to take you to Austin, Pennsylvania, where I went hunting for a mysterious entity that haunted the town with his queer and spooky actions immediately before the disaster that nearly wiped Austin off the map. One of the best things about solo adventuring is that you can decide to stop at little lesser known places and no one is gonna complain. A while back, I had heard this tale of the mystery man of the Austin Dam disaster. And conveniently, I would be traveling near that area. It was really only gonna add about another hour to my trip. So I thought, why not stop? I can check it out and snap a couple photos. The day of my return trip was directly after the long night at Hinsdale House. I had invited other folks to join me, but no one really seemed interested in seeing the disaster site, the Austin Horror, as newspapers at the time had called it. I put my bags in the car and headed out. It would take me about an hour and some change to get to my location. As had become expected on this particular trip, at some point my phone no longer had signal. I couldn't make calls, send texts, or update the GPS. And, against prior advice, I had obviously not downloaded any maps. I mean, it wasn't a complicated journey. The road there was mostly highway. My GPS had downloaded just enough that it was still giving me the map to my destination. It was just not providing me with the comfort of that familiar electronic voice. Eventually, I arrive in Austin, Pennsylvania. It's a small town. I don't think there was even a stoplight. Uh, I prepare to stop at this gas station to double-check directions and realize that it's closed on Sundays. Just perfect. I pull back out, checking the map. Looks like it's just up the road a ways. I know I can find it. I make my way along this two-lane road, just driving, until eventually the scenery changes. To my left, there is a, well, a, a, a gouge in the earth. I think this must be it. Continuing on, more hopeful now, I eventually see pieces of the destroyed structure. Scattered about is the best way to describe these gigantic stone-white pieces that littered the green landscape. But there was still no road to turn into the, well, what was described online as a park. Great. It's probably on the other side, and I have no real way of figuring that out. But then the heavens shined on this little adventure, and up in the distance, I saw a brown and white sign. Austin Dam Memorial Park. I stop for a photo. It's finally happening. I'm here. I hop back in the car, excited to venture into the park. I work my car over the narrow, rickety wooden bridge, because what good adventure doesn't have a bridge that makes you pray? The path loops around to the other side of the park. There's a scenic overlook where you can pull over, and I spot a solitary wooden bench adjacent to the edge of the gorge. Obviously, a perfect spot for photos, and I assume, a spectacular vantage point. And it was. From there, you could see what was left of the damn walls split into these towering chunks. I recorded a little after taking some photos. I usually try to take these weird and more dangerous adventures um, with a friend. It's usually Lori. Uh, Unfortunately, she couldn't be here. So if I um, die in these woods, which would be a great place to hide like a thousand bodies if you needed to, um, you know, blame her. Is this it, I ponder? Very loosely defined park if it is. I light a cigarette while I think about what I should do. Was there a road I missed? 
Am I not seeing something obvious? I looked really cute in those photos. Portrait mode is amazing. And then suddenly, I hear a car coming. I turn to see a large white truck speed past me, seemingly out of nowhere. The road I came in on is right in front of me. It vanishes into the woods. I jump up and head back to my car. I'll follow it. I start the car and head to the edge of the woods. A slight left turn, and there, steeply declining into the trees, was a gravel road path. I proceed in, hoping no one is coming out because there's no way two vehicles can fit on this. I assume this leads to the dam. I mean, it has to. I'm met with twists and turns, crunching stones popping as I drive, the next maneuver obscured by foliage, bouncing in my car seat, curious as to where this leads. After what was an exciting eternity, the nose of my car poked through the clearing and into a makeshift parking lot. There was the white truck, and another truck that I hadn't been able to see from up above. But most importantly, there was a small wooden information stand that doubled as a limited concession stand, and, as luck would have it, there were two gentlemen chatting out front. I sat in the comfort of my car for another moment, bored in the USA playing through the speakers, hesitant to leave and approach these strangers. What if they kill me? They could easily hide my body in these hills. My phone hasn't had any kind of service for at least 30 minutes. What if they're crazy and hate crime me? Why isn't Lori here? She can talk to anyone. Strangers love her. Oh, save me, baby Jesus. I resigned myself to approaching these men. Gave myself a pep talk. Had I really come all this way to feel uncomfortable asking a few questions? No, I had not. I grabbed my recorder from the passenger seat, opened the car door, and stepped out into the warm, heavy air, unaware that I was about to embark on a three-hour adventure with two complete strangers. This is Brad. He was here when I pulled up. I never really figured out what he does for a living. It sounds like he's retired. He voted for Trump and loves conspiracy theories. That's mostly what we talked about. But yeah, I wasn't expecting all of, all of this. I know it's, it's like a memorial park or whatever yes. I said. But I figured there's a sign and the, the ruins and... There were 78 people lost. Mm -hmm. Most of them were children and people trying to save children. So, I'm assuming when it flooded, it went, like, yeah. down the valley, that way. Mm -hmm. that they had a 15-minute warning. Wow. reason I had a 15-minute warning, because this house that sits over here up in the bank, uh -huh. that was the local brothel. And they just put telephone service in the day before. And she wow. seen it go and was able to contact the switchboard in Austin. And they got the word out. I mean, what do you do? Run. Yeah. But I don't know about the mystery man. This is Alvy's dogs. He'll be up That's here in a second. He's he knows pretty he might know about the mystery man. This guy was asking about the mystery man. Oh, I know about that. Yeah, Would you want to talk to me for just a little bit? <laughs> it's just for a podcast. It's nothing. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I I can't kind of remember where the original. And that's Alvy. His family is from here, but he worked as an engineer in New York for a while. Eventually, he was able to move back here and work remotely. He's on the board for the Austin Dam Memorial and is a bit of a town historian. There was a newspaper article that um, 
mentioned the event, but it was like a year after the event that okay. told about a, a dark figure that came the year before, kind of as a warning uh, uh, that something was going to happen, but mostly it evolved around reports from the uh, railroad people seeing something that kind of caught their eye, but they didn't know exactly what it was, and uh, kind of strange occurrences like that. Unfortunately, that was about the extent of Brad and Alvy's combined knowledge as it relates to the Mystery Man. But since I was there, I thought I should get the lowdown on the town's history. I knew I could always tell you fine folks the spooky part in my own words later. Yeah, late, later on they did a lot of business with Hemlock. That's that one picture over there. They finally figured out how to harvest it, which was put the uh, log sawmill right here in Austin and then use trains to move yeah. the logs. And they were cutting like a hundred million board feet a year at three different mills in Potter County. So within a couple of years, the population went from almost zero to uh, 3,000 uh, people. Mm -hmm. And within like 10 to 15 years, the economy was um, in trouble because they'd cut all the trees and there was no place for people. This is a little people. bit like a, a boom town kind yep. of thing. Boom. And then the paper mill was brought in to recover the economy. That's why this dam was built yeah. because yeah. there's no water power here. Really, our streams don't flow much, so they needed a large supply of water. This was the second dam. The first dam is about 200 yards above this. It, yeah. It's called a coffer dam. It's about 20 foot tall and 150 foot wide. Awesome. And it was built by the town of Austin to get the paper mill to come here. The first dam was inadequate. They kind of was enough to get started, but they realized that they wanted to make like 50 ton of paper a day and there was only enough water to make a couple ton and they couldn't make profit with that amount of water so they needed this dam which is 50 foot high and 532 foot wide and held over a, a million and a half gallons or some large amount that probably nobody really ever knows but they did some rough calculations and said if we build it this high we'll hold a million gallons and probably the mill owner said well we want to make it higher then because we want it more production so they maybe went up another 10 feet where and is that why they did it so they went up 10 feet so they were like additional make, feet yeah let's not make it more expensive let's kind of shrink it and go up uh, no, they, the engineering people took a look at the valley and uh, the techniques that were available and kind of made a engineering decision that with safety values oh, in place, the dam should only be 40 foot tall. Just the, you know, kind of an engineering <coughs> assessment. But then uh, the mill owner would say, well, that's fine, but we, we want to do more production, so we're going to need a 50-foot dam. And the engineers would say, no, uh, the safety 
uh, margins would be decreased to a point where that wouldn't be acceptable using standard engineering ID in you know, our theory so well let, let's let's do it anyways and, and you know we'll, we're willing to accept the risk so there was a whole bunch of decisions made like that where margins were considered uh, and risks were taken the, you know the engineer would say uh, we need to go down in the earth uh, 15 foot to get to solid bedrock and you know maintain an adequate safety margin but the mill owner who was paying for it all including the engineering assessment said well we're willing to accept a risk only go down five feet and we'll be uh, you know there's no reason to make it twice as safe as necessary let's just make it a little bit safer than this. so the whole process came down to what what is acceptable risks what I think they had some budget in mind what can we do with X number of dollars and oh by the way the paper mill is not making any money we're losing money we're going to go bankrupt so we'll build it fast and quick and cheaply and then when we become profitable we'll come back and fix it with better um, methods yeah. when yeah. when the time is allows for uh, you know the money to be the, the company to be profitable and yeah. times are better so uh, there was a whole all kinds of um, calculated risks that were uh, allowed I guess uh, workers came from um, Eastern Europe they were immigrants at the time yeah. so they were trying to get out of the conflicts that were happening there which were basically the Russian Empire versus yeah. the Ottoman Empire yeah. versus the Turkish Empire and the Russian or the German Empire so they were all fighting so there was a time of strife so if you could get out of there you would go and I mean that's, that's and all they had to do was to get here at the time was say they had a job right. and if there's a paper mill hiring come and work uh, at one what, time there was built. nine different dialects spoken Austin yeah. so it was a, a small community like 3,000 people of 10 or 15 different nationalities Oh, did did they bring the logs? Yep. Oh. Got them all unloaded. I, I gotta pay a guy for a load of logs. After Alvy left to go check on his logs, I sat with Brad for a while longer discussing all sorts of wild ideas. Conspiracy theories about central banks, one world governments, what was really going on with Epstein, and some classics like MKUltra. He let me in on some secret symbology and gave me a few websites where I could learn the secrets behind the Trump tweets code. Honestly, fascinating stuff, and I would have stayed longer because who knew where any of this was going? At a lull in conversation, I checked my phone and noticed how long I had been there. I was really behind schedule and hadn't checked in with anyone. Knowing it was best that I probably excuse myself, 
I did. Pulled the classic, well, about time for me to be hitting the old dusty trail. Momentarily satisfied with our conversation, I was initially excused. However, rural American manners require us to say no less than three goodbyes. I recall this tidbit of decorum from my youth spent on a farm. As I'm depositing my recorder in my car, Brad asks if I want a tour. And of course, I say yes. We spent the next 45 minutes or so walking this, uh, what I come to learn is basically two-mile area. The dam walls and destruction that remain is hauntingly beautiful up close. I learned they have a summer video series where they show movies using these giant sheets of concrete as movie screens. People camp and spend the weekend for a music festival. And when I'm finally able to say goodbye, for real this time, Brad and Alvi gift me with an actual piece of the dam. While there is probably some commentary to be made about very different strangers meeting and finding common ground and discussing the weird and strange, I still need to tell you about the mystery man. Much like Austin in 1911, the dam washed away most of this story too. I would guess many of us are at least passingly familiar with the story of the Mothman, an otherworldly being that suddenly appears and then after disaster strikes, vanishes. That's basically what happened in Austin. But Alvi had mentioned a few things that I was unaware of before our discussion. For instance, this wasn't the first time the dam had flooded. Even more strangely, there seemed to be a lot of weird stories from this time period, most of which, he explained away, he seemed like a skeptic that wanted to believe, but Maybe his aerospace engineering education made him too logical. The big thing he mentioned was that a few years prior to the Austin Horror, a town just a little ways away, Cinema Honing, had their TNT plant explode, killing several people. My ears perked up at the mention, and I made mental note. I mean, didn't the Mothman make the TNT area its home? A spooky mystery is brewing. In January 1910, this version of the Austin Dam was about a month old. Due to weather, there was significant snowmelt that, when compounded with rain, caused a portion of the dam to slide downstream nearly three feet. Vertical cracks ripped through the structure, buckling the dam. The residents of Austin fled the scene for higher ground, expecting the dam to break at any moment. The foreshadowing result was a minor flood. The water receded and folks went home, unnerved, but safe. The town was abuzz with events of the first flood, and to top it off, a rumor started circulating that a ghost had appeared in the days leading up to the flood. Life seemingly resumed back to normal. Work began to secure the dam, though we know now that there was nothing that could be done to prevent the next disaster. The die had been cast, a chain of events set in motion, potentially, by the mysterious man in black. The Honesdale Citizen, a newspaper, details our story on the one-year anniversary of the horrific 1911 flood that destroyed Austin. The author reports, in the railroad and on and off the cars, were the places the ghost haunted and frightened the railroaders with its queer and spooky actions. It was a very tall man ghost, dressed in black, that would appear and disappear mysteriously, 
and no questions asked, for those who saw it did not care to ask questions or its business. The railroad men naturally felt uneasy or scared with a ghost riding their cars, and none of them attempted to put it off when they saw it crawling between and running over the cars. It is often that so-called natural disasters are truly, instead, human-made. I think back to the Titanic. In the initial construction phase of that ship, it was found that the very large rivets that held the upper part of the boat securely to the hull were taking too long to install and were too costly. So instead, smaller rivets were used, rivets that would rip apart the moment the hull came in contact with an iceberg. But the iceberg remains the star of that story, not the greed and impatience of rich men. It might be said that the story of the Austin Dam disaster is not much different from that of the Titanic. You know, uh, just build up 10 more feet and just dig down five instead of 15. And with that then profitable calculation, 78 people, many of them children, met their watery death. And there are not only mystery men in the annals of history, dressed in black, who warn us of the horrors that come of our own hands. There are many with us now. Take Greta Thunberg, who warns us of what is coming, how we blame nature and fail to realize that we ourselves are about to bring natural disasters on our own world. You know, another really big iceberg. So pay attention and listen to the past and present prophets, real or imagined, who warn us of the dangers of our own greed and insatiable desire for convenience and profit, just like the mystery man of the Austin Dam disaster or even maybe the Mothman. Hey, thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed the show, leave us a review. This show was created and produced by me, Lori Gum, and Shane McClellan. Until next time, friends, be weird, stay curious. These are the Q-Files.